Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Naima Novetsky. Today, we'll begin our study of parashat and work. The parashat contains three main units. Chapters 21 and 22 focus on the holiness of the priestly class. Chapter 23 turns to the holiness of time as it delves into each of the various holidays. And chapter 24 covers an assortment of topics, including the menorah, showbread, and the story of the blasphemer. In this class, we'll explore chapter 21, which focuses on two distinct issues, the priestly laws of mourning and marriage and the status of blemished priests. The chapter distinguishes between these two sets of laws by opening each with a unique address. Verse 1 begins, Vayomer Hashem Moshe, emor Aaron. And Hashem said to Moshe, say to the priests, the sons of Aharon. This is, file, this is followed by a discussion of corpse defilement and of marriage, as they relate to both a regular priest in verses 1 through 9 and to the high priest in verses 10 through 15. Verse 16 then opens the second unit with a new introductory address by Hashem. By Daber Hashem a Moshe Lemor, and Hashem said to Moshe, Daber el Aharon Lemor, Ish Mizarachal Dorotam Asheriya Vomum, speak to Aaron saying, Any one of your descendants who has a blemish. This verse clearly demarcated as a new second unit in the chapter. The two sections, though, are connected to each other via shared language. There are several phrases that repeat throughout the chapter with slight variations, each emphasizing how both sets of laws have the same purpose, to protect the holiness of the Kohen and the holiness of the Mikdash. For example, the verses repeat four times that one's actions should not profane. In explaining why a regular priest cannot be defiled by a corpse, the verse states, Regarding the potential defilement of the high priest, the verse echoes, V'lo yichalel et mikdash elokav. And with regards to those he can't marry, it says instead, V'lo yichalel zero. Finally, with regards to the prohibition of blemished priests from serving in the mikdash, the verse states, V'lo yichalel et mikdashai. The repetition highlights how the various prohibitions have the potential to profane the name of Hashem, the seed of the Kohen, and the mikdash itself. Similarly, again and again throughout the chapter, we are told that the priest should be careful with regards to these laws because they are holy. As such, variations of the phrases Kedoshim Yiyu appear four times, while variations of the phrase Kinyashem Mekazisham appear three times. Though we're not looking at chapter 22 today, it's worth noting that these two sets of phrases repeat there as well, with the warning Velota Chalaluachim Kadshi and the explanatory each appearing three times. Between the two chapters, the root kuf dalet shin, kadosh, in all of its forms, as noun, verb, and adjective, appear a full 35 times. And the verb lechalel appears 13 times. Clearly then, the two chapters form one connected unit in which the theme of sanctity is central. With this as an introduction, let's move into the verses starting with the first set of laws addressed to the regular priest. These begin with ordinances related to corpse defilement. Verse 1. Hashem said to Moshe, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest shall not defile himself for the dead among his people. This first verse lays out the general rule. Regular priests are prohibited from defiling themselves through contact with a dead body. 
This would include touch, carrying, and being under the same roof as the dead. Some exceptions follow in the coming verses, but as a general rule, the Torah mandates that a priest cannot be involved in the burial of others. The language of the verse, the nefesh lo is somewhat difficult. Why does the verse add among his people? Chazal learned from this that in addition to the exceptions to this general rule, which are laid out in the next few verses, there's one other exception, a mate mitzvah. If a person dies and there's no other Israelite capable of burying him, then a priest may and should be the one to bury him. It is only if a person dies in his nation, when there are others who are capable of fulfilling the task of burial and caring for the dead, that a Kohen is prohibited from defiling himself. The next couple of verses list the other exceptions to the general rule, those people for whom the Kohen may defile himself. Verse 2, Except for his relatives that are near to him, for his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother. And for his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband, for her he may defile himself. The priest may defile himself for members of his immediate family, including his mother, father, son, daughter, brother, and virgin sister. Glaringly absent from this list is the priest's wife. The Sifra, the Midrash Halachana verses, learn that she is included from the phrase that opens the verse, he in the Sheiro HaKarovelav, except for his relative that is near to him. Though according to the simple sense of the verse, this phrase is simply a general opening, telling us in general terms that the priest may defile himself to all those who are of his flesh, to all those who are close relatives. The Sifra suggests that it refers to a specific person, the person who is closest to him, his wife. Not only that, they learn from the phrase, Lahitama, to her he should defile himself, that it is not just permitted, but obligatory that he engage in her burial. If he does not want to become impure, we defile him against his will. The Midrash then goes on to tell a story of a certain priest named Yosef, whose wife died on the eve of Pesach, and he did not want to defile himself and bury her, presumably so that he would not miss out on being able to partake of the Pesach offering. But the sages pushed him, defiling him against his will. The verses do not say why these exceptions were made. It's possible that they are permitted because the dead are most often buried by those who are closest to them, and so the dead themselves are, need of the, are in need of the Kohen to care for their bodies. It's also possible, though, that the Torah realizes that it would cause undue distress and pain to the Kohen if he were not allowed to come close in death to those whom he loves so dearly in life. The meaning of the next verse, verse 4, is somewhat ambiguous. He shall not defile himself, a man among his people, to profane himself. It's not clear who the words Baal Ba'amav refer to. Many pick up on the word Baal and assume that the verse is speaking of the priest in his status as husband. As such, Rashbam maintains that the verse is saying, a husband within the nation of Kohanim should not be defiled in his role as husband. In other words, according to him, in contrast to the Sifra that we just saw, the verse is prohibiting a husband from, de from defiling himself to his wife. If he does, this will profane him. Rashbam does not explain why she is different than any other close family member, but one could suggest that in contrast to all the other relatives mentioned, 
the Kohen's wife is not a blood relative. Rashi, following Chazal, instead suggests that the verse is saying that a husband cannot defile himself to only one specific category of wife, lehechalo, to profane him, to a wife whom he had not been allowed to marry to begin with. Rav Yosef Prochoshor and Ramban, in contrast, assume that Baal Bamav does not mean a husband, but an important person, a person who is a Baal, a master, in context, a Kohen. Rav Yosef Prochoshor reads the verse as if written, Lo yitama li Baal Bamav, suggesting that the verse mandates that a priest may not defile himself even for an important person in the nation, in other words, even for the Kohen Gadol, for the high priest. Ramban more simply reads the verse as a general closing summary statement. A priest, a Baal Ba'amav, may not defile himself to profane his honor. The next verse discusses signs of mourning. Verse 5. They shall not shave their heads, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. These prohibitions are not unique to the priest, and we saw in Parashat Kedoshim that a lay Israelite is also prohibited from expressing such signs of mourning, likely because they were characteristics of the mourning rites of idolaters. The section ends with a general concluding statement, the explanation for the law. Kedoshim yiyu lelokehem, velo yichalalu shem elokehem, ket ishei Hashem lechem elokehem hemakivim v'hayu kodesh. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offered the offerings of Hashem made by fire, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. In their role as those who sacrifice to Hashem, the priests need to be extra holy. This in and of itself, though, does not totally explain these laws, which at first glance seem somewhat harsh. If a Kohen was close to a certain person, why should he be prohibited from engaging and helping in their burial just because he is tasked with sacrificing to Hashem? What's the connection? It seems that one part of the law is purely practical. The priests are being commanded to ensure their own purity, lest they defile the Mikdash. The verse, though, goes a step further, not warning just about the Mikdash, but also about profaning Hashem's name. As such, some have explained that it is likely that the laws are further aimed at ensuring that Israelite priests do not engage in cults of the dead and other similar worship and veneration of the dead, which was so prevalent in other religions in the ancient Near East. Rav Hirsch expounds at length about this idea, pointing out that in contrast to other religions, Judaism does not law death, but rather life. Judaism teaches one how to live, not how to die. And through leading a proper, sanctified life, it ensures eternal life. One need not focus on the dead, for living a pure and moral life will grant one eternity. Overfocus on the body and the physical tends to lead in the opposite direction. He writes, By the priest not engaging in care for the dead, he raises the banner of the living, awakening this principle of life in the nation and reminding them of their moral freedom and godly being, which is not a prisoner to the body. The next few verses move from death to marriage. Verse 7. They shall not marry a woman who is a prostitute or profane. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for he is holy to God. Verse 8. 
You shall sanctify him, therefore, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I am Hashem who sanctify you. I am holy. These verses prohibit a Kohen from marrying a divorcee, a Zonah, a prostitute, and a Chalala, someone who was born or descended from a prohibited union between a Kohen and one of the women on this list. Chazal debate who's included in the category of a Zonah. Rabbi Akiva suggests that it refers to someone who is a harlot and constantly prostituting, while Rabbi Elazar suggests, Rabbi Elazar suggests that includes even a single woman who slept with just one other man not for the purpose of marriage. The rabbis instead limit it to a woman who has had relations with a person whom is prohibited to her, like the list in chapter 18, or to a convert, the assumption apparently being that a convert might have engaged in such behavior before converting. The reason given for these prohibitions is identical to what we read above, because the priests offer offerings to Hashem and they are therefore holy to God. It's not clear, though, why these specific women are off-limits. Had the list just included women who had engaged in problematic behavior, that might be understandable, but a divorcee has not violated any sexual prohibition. This suggests that the prohibition likely relates more to the fact that these women are not virgins. Of course, then, though, one must question why is a widow allowed? Maybe the difference between the widow and the other cases is that in the case of a widow, the man with whom she had relations is no longer living, so there is at least no reason for the Kohen to be thinking of and jealous of him or the like. Verse 9 closes the section with a tangential law. Uvat ish Kohen ki iznot et The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the prostitute, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. According to the simple sense of the verse, any daughter of a priest who prostitutes is punished with burning. Chazal will limit the verse to a bat kohen who had an extramarital affair and committed adultery. She is punished more harshly than a regular adulterer, receiving a more severe form of capital punishment since her actions profane her father. It's possible that this law and harsh punishment is also meant to distance the nation from idolatry and the practice of temple prostitution, where women priestesses engage in sexual practices as part of their idolatrous worship. The next five verses address the high priest, who is more limited than the lay priest. Verse 10. He who is the high priest among his brothers, upon whose head the anointing oil is poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. Verse 11, Neither shall he go by to any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or for his mother. Neither shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am Hashem. In addition to the signs of mourning mentioned before, the high priest is also prohibited from letting his hair grow long and from rending his garments in mourning. Moreover, he is prohibited from all contact with the dead and may not bury even his mother and his father. Finally, as opposed to lay priests who may leave the Mikdash to accompany the dead of their closest relatives, a high priest may not leave the temple servers for any relative, even on the day of their death. Ramban explains the restrictions. Were he to leave his service for the honor of the deceased, it would constitute a profaning of the temple. 
Rather, the glory of the Mikdash and his service must be greater to him than the honor due to the deceased and his love of him. All the more so would he be in abrogation of this command if he leaves his service for no good reason at all. The verse is not mandating that the Kohen Gadol not feel pain at the loss of loved ones, but that in his unique role as Kohen Gadol, he must always place the honor of the Mikdash above all else, even honor to the dead. The Kohen Gadol, in fact, embodies this honor in all that he does. Written on his headpiece is the words, Kodesh Hashem." he is holy to God. Rav Hirsch adds that the Kohen Gadol is supposed to represent the most exalted ethical standard. As such, he forgoes his individuality and must view all his personal interactions and feelings as secondary to the collective and his job as their representative. Since part of his job is to represent life and the joy of a life lived according to Torah ideas, he cannot wallow in the sorrow of death. The next three verses speak about whom the high priest may or may not marry. He shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow or one divorced or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute, these he shall not marry, but a virgin of his own people shall he take as a wife. He shall not profane his seed among his people, for I am Hashem who sanctifies him. The Kohen is explicitly mandated to marry a virgin and prohibited from wedding a divorcee, a halala, and prostitute like the lay priest. But he's also prohibited from wedding a widow. Again, he's held to a higher standard than the lay priest and meant to be untouched by any possible impurity. With this, we move to the second unit of our chapter, the laws relating to a blemished priest. Verse 16. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Say to Aaron, none of your seed throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. The verses then list the various blemishes. These include both those deformities that one might be born with and those which might have occurred later at some later point in life and even those which are only temporary and will heal. Verse 18. Someone who is blind or lame, has a flat nose or elongated limbs. Someone with a broken leg or hand. The meaning of these terms is debated. I'll bring just one passable meaning for each. One who is a hunchback, a dwarf, defected in the eye, one with various skin ailments or damaged testicles. Verse 21 they then reiterates the general rule. A person with a blemish may not come to sacrifice. Verse 22 points out, that despite the ban from serving in the Midash, however, the priest is still allowed to eat from the various sacrifices. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the Most Holy and of the Holy. He is warned though, he may nonetheless not come close to the parochet, the dividing curtain between the Kodesh and Kodesh HaKadoshim, or to the altar, lest he profane the Mikdash. 
And the chapter ends by Daber Moshe El Aharon Ve'Albanav El Kol Bnei Israel. So spoke Moshe to Aaron and his sons and all of Israel. This short unit raises one important and obvious question. Why are Kohanim who have blemishes excluded from service? The Torah is not insensitive to the disabled and even has laws to protect them. As we saw in Vayikra chapter 19, it's prohibited to curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. Chazal for their part as well suggests that it is the inside, not the outside, that should count. The Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit Dav Zayin teaches the following. And Rabbi Oshaya said, Why are matters of Torah likened to these three liquids, to water, wine, and milk? This comes to tell you, just as these three liquids can be retained only in the least of vessels, in clay pots, but not vessels of silver and gold, so too matters of Torah are retained only by one whose spirit is lowly. The Gemara then tells the following story. Once, the daughter of the Roman emperor said to Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hanania, who was an ugly man, how is such glorious wisdom such as yours contained in such an ugly vessel, referring to his looks? Rabbi Yehoshua replies, does your father keep his wine in simple clay vessels? The emperor's daughter says to him, rather in what then should he keep it? Rabbi Yehoshua answers, you who are so important should put it in vessels of gold and silver. The emperor's daughter tells this to her father, who in turn puts the wine in vessels of gold and silver. Not surprisingly, the wine turned sour. When his advisors come and tell the emperor that the wine had turned sour, he said to his daughter, who told you to do this? His daughter responds, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanani. The emperor summons him and said to him, why did you say this to her? Rabbi Yoshua responds, just as she said to me, so I said to her, to demonstrate to her that fine material is best preserved in the least of vessels. The message of the Gemara is simple. Outer appearances are not what is most important. And if so, we ask again, why is a, a blemished priest not allowed to serve? Why should Hashem care what his servants look like, especially considering that it is he who created them that way? Sforno attempts to answer the question through an analogy. Sforno points to Megillat Esther, where Esther tells Mordechai that he must remove his sackcloth before entering the palace because it is not honorable to enter in such a dress, suggesting that the same principle applies here. It's not respectful to enter the Mikdash without proper dress. In other words, it's disrespectful to enter without a perfect, unblemished body. It's questionable, though, whether this analogy is valid. One has control over the clothing one wears. One does not have control over one's physical perfection or imperfection. And moreover, as we asked before, is it not Hashem, the one who supplied the Kohen with this body regardless? If so, how can he hold it against him? The Rambam thus offers a different explanation. Because in the eyes of the masses, we do not honor a person due to his true form, but only according to the perfection of his limbs and clothing, and it is necessary that this house be honored by all. In other words, the need for a Kohen to be unblemished stems not from Hashem, but from the weakness of the people who do not feel the same respect for a person with a blemish as they do for someone who is whole. Since the masses will not respect a Mikdash and the representatives therein, the Kohanim, if they are blemished, Hashem mandates that all who serve must not be blemished. 
A third approach to our question might be gleaned from a discussion in Babli Megillah relating not to serving in the Megdash, but rather Brikat Kohanim, the blessing of the Kohanim. The Gemara questions which blemishes disqualify a priest from blessing the congregation. After discussing the issue, the Gemara then brings the following. Rav Huna says, A priest whose eyes constantly run with tears may not lift his hands to recite the priestly benediction. The Gemara then asks, wasn't there a certain priest with this condition in the neighborhood of Rav Huna? And he would spread his hands and recite the priestly benediction. The Gemara answers, that priest was a familiar figure in his town. Since the other residents were accustomed to seeing him, he would not draw their attention during the priestly benediction. Rav Shai Piron explains the Gemara. The categorization of the difference is determined by the observer, the one thinking about it. It is inappropriate if during Berkat Kwanim, People are busy talking about the disabled person who went up to bless them. The, per the problem is not with the disabled person, but with the community. Those who, when they see someone disabled, do not see the person, but only his blemishes. The permission for a disabled local resident to bless indicates that the categorization of a person as excluded from Birkat Kwanim does not depend on an objective problem, but on how society relates to him. The question is who you see. Do you see a person before you or someone disabled before you? If you see a Kohen, a regular person, then you can be blessed by him and he can bless you. But if most of your energy is directed at the disability and you are unable to see his human side, then you cannot be blessed by him and he cannot bless you. Though this law is mentioned only in the context of the priestly, of the priestly blessing and not regarding general service in the Megdash, the message is similar to what we saw before. The problem with a Baal lies not in him, but in the way the community perceives him. If they cannot respect him, if they are distracted by him, then the Kohen cannot properly fulfill his function. To end with a blessing that we may all learn to see beyond a person's disabilities to the person himself. Next class, we'll continue to chapter 22 and further discussion of priestly sanctification.